So you guys may not know this, but uh, Mother's Day was celebrated a long time before Father's Day was. So a lady named uh, Serona Dodd sat through Mother's Day service uh, at her church in the early 1900s. I think it was 1908. And she wanted to have a service for men and fathers uh, like that because she was raised by an only father and thought that would be really valuable. So she set out to start getting Father's Day recognized. It took her a long time. Uh, Eventually, uh, the first one was celebrated June 19th, 1910, which is exactly 112 years from today. It's always the third Sunday, so it lines up occasionally. But it wasn't until 1972 that Richard Nixon signed a proclamation making Father's Day a national holiday. So it took a long time for it to be recognized, 58 years after Mother's Day became an official holiday. And Father's Day took a long time to catch on, mostly, I think, because fathers aren't nearly as sentimental, um, usually speaking. (laughs) But one thing that did help um, catch Father's Day on was actually marketing. So (laughs) these uh, large companies were like, we're going to make Father's Day a thing. Uh, Well, it means profits for them. But so they really pushed. And um, obviously... Father's Day means more than that than just buying and giving gifts and, and selling stuff. But today, over a billion dollars is spent every single year on Father's Day. But the best gift that I've ever given for Father's Day was completely free, actually. I've given many gifts to my father, but none of them were quite as good as this one. So here is the story about the best gift I've ever given my dad. So here is a picture of my parents' house. Uh, and it looks like an old church desk because it is. Uh, they built this, or they didn't build it. They bought this after Lawrenceville Church got built a new building, and they renovated it and turned it into their house. I want you to take special notice of the tree right here, the close tree next to the house. As you can see, it's labeled right here. This is the tree. And uh, this tree uh, is actually, it just got taken down this week because it wasn't the healthiest tree in the world. So it shedded limbs a lot. And it must have been a late winter or early spring storm. Uh, whatever the case is, a small limb, nothing more than a few feet long, ended up on the tall side of the roof uh, right here. Proximate stick location, as you can see. So this, there is a, 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 a stick about that long that was on the roof after the storm. Now... A small stick usually makes its way off your roofs, right? So it either comes off in a heavy rain or a gusty wind one day or a bird happens to want to build something with it. They pick it up and move it. Whatever the case, the the sticks usually don't, the small sticks don't usually stay on your roof for a long time. But this stick stayed on our roof for months, like a really, really, really long time. So every time my dad would drive up this road right here and, and... look at our house and pull into the driveway, he would see that little stick just sitting there on the roof. And it started to drive him absolutely nuts. I mean, it, like, he would just complain about it all the time. Have you guys ever, like, had a leaf, like, stuck in your, like, your windshield wiper in your car, and it's just, like, like flapping against your car after, like, 10 miles, you're about to lose your mind because, like, you turn the wipers on, like, 40 times, and it's still stuck, and it's not going anywhere? That's, like, the same kind of sensation my dad had about this stick, on the roof. So he, he, every time we would drive up, he would, he would look at it, and 
at dinner table, he would complain about it. He'd just like mention it in passing when we'd drive past the house, but like, the stick is still there. It became a joke in our family, really. So on Father's Day Eve, as we most most of us celebrate Father's Day Eve, on Father's Day Eve, um, me and my brother, we were in I was in high school at the time. We climbed onto the roof safely. I might add there's a shorter section. Oh, over here. I put a ladder up and I walked all the way over. Came down, got the stick. And um, so the next day we presented the stick to my father as our gift to him. And the joy on his face, <laughs> I cannot tell you. He was, he was so happy because the dreaded roof stick had finally been dethroned. It had been, it was a coup d'etat against the, the stick, and we won. And it was in his hands. He felt victorious. And to this day, my dad keeps this stick on a shelf in his office. And it's, that's a picture of it right there. That's, that is the famous roof stick. Um, it would be fun to like put it in a shadow box or something and display it. But it's, I was like, hey, Dad, do you like have a picture of like that stick we had on the roof? Like I was texting him earlier this week preparing for this, and he's like, no, but I, I can send you a picture of a stick. I, I like misread the text. I was like, I don't want you to just like take a picture of a random stick and send it to me for the same illustration. He's like, no, like I have the stick in my office, sitting on a shelf. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like, you still have this, you still have this stupid stick sitting in your office? He's like, yeah, I, I see it every, every single time I go into my office. I'm like, oh, wow. So he sent me a picture. I'm like, this is actually how I know this is the best gift I've ever given to my dad because I can guarantee there's no other Father's Day gift that I can think of that he still knows about and <laughs> still pays attention to. But this stick right here, this completely free stick that we got off the roof really made an impact on my dad. <laughs> and I'm very grateful for my father. He's been a great father to me, still is. And he's been a, a spiritual father to many others as well, as well. And I'm sure we've all had men in our lives that we've looked up to, good Christian men. And a good Christian man is really a gem to the world. And mothers are great and essential too, okay? Not digging on mothers here. But there is something special and necessary about fathers, both in parental roles and spiritual roles. So today I want to take some time to honor and encourage the men of our church by speaking specifically to their lives and looking at some of the Bible passages that are written directly to them. And what we're going to be doing is mostly in Psalms today. So go ahead and turn to Psalm Uh, 128 with me. So you may be familiar, like on Mother's Day, like Proverbs 31, like the Proverbs 31 woman. This is like the male equivalent. Um, Psalm 128 is kind of this, uh, talking about this ideal man and, and what his life looks like. And you'll notice as you get to Psalm 128 that at the very top, it says a song of ascent. Um, which actually you'll see this title from Psalm 120 all the way through 134. This range of psalms all start with a song of ascent. And to understand the title on the psalm, you need to know that Jerusalem, uh, the holy city of the Jewish people, is actually set on top of a hill. I mean, it's not like a mountain, but it's a good hill. And three times a year, 
uh, during the three main festivals, the three main feasts, the people, the Jewish people, would come from all around, and they would gather in Jerusalem, and they would worship in Jerusalem, and on their way into the city, they would obviously need to ascend up the hill. They would literally just walk up the hill. And so these songs, called the Songs of Ascent, traditionally were sung during this journey. As you'd be coming into Jerusalem, they'd be sung as you're coming into worship. And some traditions even think that these songs were sung by priests as they ascended the steps of the temple to go be in the presence of God. So keep that in mind as we're reading this psalm, that this message was so important to the Jewish people that it was such an important aspect of their traditions that they immortalized these truths into song and that they would sing them year after year as they came up. And so these psalms reflect the truth of God, his commandments, and the desire, his desires for our lives, um, ranging from 120 to 134. But this one specifically, Psalm 128, is addressed just to men and talking about fathers. So keep that in mind as we look at it. Go ahead and look at verse 1 with me. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. So the first thing that might strike you is the word fear. Now, the fear of the Lord isn't the same thing as like a fear of snakes, spiders, or clowns. Who's afraid of snakes? Who's afraid of spiders? Just doing a poll here. Who's afraid of clowns? Are you afraid of all of them? Did you raise your hand three times? Okay. Okay. It's good to know. So this fear is not like those fears. It is uh, based on honor and reverence and respect. It's the healthy knowledge of the God of the universe. It's his, realizing his, his power, that he holds life and death in his hands, and that he's clearly laid out desires for us. It's the fear of understanding the weight of what it means to be in the presence of the living God, to know who he is, to honor his commandment. It's to recognize his holiness and, and to take it seriously. And that's exactly what the second part of this verse says, is to walk in his ways. So some translations might read, to walk in obedience to him. And there's a passage that I want to look at again in Psalms. I have it here on the screen for us. It helps clarify what it means to walk in his ways or walk in obedience. And this is what Psalms 112.1 says. Praise the Lord, how blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. So when you desire becomes God and what he says, and you study it and you internalize it, you slowly begin every day to walk in his ways, to see the road that he has paved and walk on it. That's what it means to walk in his ways, to love his word, to know it. Another passage that helps clarify this first verse is Psalm thirty-three, eighteen. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness, who hope on his loving kindness. So this is where the blessing comes from, from the fear of the Lord. When you fear the Lord and you honor and respect him, he, in turn, watches over you. He takes care of you. He provides for you. And this is the definition of blessing in our life, to have the very creator of the earth we're walking on taking mind to us and caring for us. And notice that in all three of these verses, Psalm 128, 1, 112, 1, and 
33:18 that the fear of the Lord is followed by a clarifying statement. So this helps us gain a deeper understanding of what the Bible means by fear of the Lord. It means walking in his ways, loving his commandments, hoping in his love that he shows us. That's what it means to fear the Lord. And so this Psalm 128 starts out with this qualifying verse. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. And then it unpacks that statement. Um, It goes on to explain what it means if you live this way, if if you do these things, what kind of things are you to expect in life? What kind of things follow from that? So let's go ahead and continue reading the psalm. Look at verse 2. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your life, your wife, excuse me, shall be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like all plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion, and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. So the psalmist says that with obedience to God comes fruitful labor, comes a peaceful relationship with your wife, children that bring you life, that are uh, good to your household, that produce fruit like an olive tree, that the leading of this kind of life also leads you to have grandchildren, to be alive, to see them. Now, obviously, the truth is that many followers of God have had hard lives, and many bad things have happened to them, right? Certainly not every father who believes in God has this kind of life perfectly lined up for them. However, that does not disqualify the truth of it. Our life experience does not disqualify what is being said here, because the truth is following God does lead to healthier relationships because you treat people with dignity and you love them in a way that God commands, even if not every relationship you have is perfect. The truth is your values and perspectives will shift in a way that drastically changes how you deal with hard situations, even if the people around you don't see it the same way. The truth is you will always know how to go in prayer to God who provides miraculously, even when the people around you feel under pressure and stuck and defeated. So to be a godly man and a father means to live differently. It means to lead with love and to lead others to God, including your family and your spiritual family. It means choosing God's ways over the ways of the world. I mean, in Joe's um, small testimony he did today in the Bible Impact, he mentioned a lot of guys who just kind of happened to fall into his life and lead him in the direction towards God. And he wasn't even sure what was going on. And then in retrospect, you look back, you're like, wow, God worked in these men to change my life. And another great example of a man who led in this way is Joshua. And Joshua, who was a leader who followed in Moses' footsteps. And he says this to the Israelite people as they're settling into the promised land. Look at what Joshua says in Joshua 24, 14 through 15. Now fear the Lord... And serve with all faithfulness. 
Throw away the gods of your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites and whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So this verse could, I think, easily be applied to any time or any culture. Just replace the gods of the Egyptians and the Amorites with the things of our current culture that flagrantly show themselves in opposition to the ways of God. And you can replace it with anything in our culture. You're like, that's not what God says. And so the choice has always been and will always be God or another way, right? And as men who know God, it's our job to choose God and to lead others to follow him as well, to choose him. So this isn't a big theologically heavy sermon, but it has simple truths. And I want to recap those again, just so that we're all clear on what we are expected of, what, what is going into being a man of God. Number one, your focus should be on God. So before your job, before your wife, before your children, before your hobbies, certainly before your hobbies, before anything else, comes God. To fear him, to respect him, to know him, to love him, to make him the center of who you are. This is just the first thing that we need to focus on. Not just men, but all of us need to get that right. And now women, I'm about to say something you might disagree with, but I think God has given men a unique ability to focus, okay? So if you try talking to your husband and it's like talking to a wall, you may be thinking I'm crazy, but that's because we're really good at focusing. So we might be fixated on grilling the burgers, watching the sports game, taking care of our bonsai trees, as like many of us do. And unfortunately, that means uh, sometimes we miss... When people tell us important things like the plans that we have for the week or who we're talking to when and those kinds of things. But that's, I think, because we have this unique ability to, to intently focus on one thing, right? And so everything else kind of gets blocked out. It's like putting on blinders and we can just laser focus. And I think we should use this natural ability to focus intently on one task, which is God. To block out everything else for bits of time and just really look at God and what he says. Which leads us to number two. Is the realization that you are on a mission to know God. You have a mission to know God. The passage that we looked at, passages that we looked at today make it clear that there is a choice. To walk in the ways of God, to love his commandments, to hope on him. And all of that is impossible unless you put serious time dedicated towards those goals. Don't let your pursuit of God turn into that household renovation that you've been doing for the last two years. Don't let it be that car sitting in your garage, that project car that you love, or that to-do list that keeps getting bigger, right? And I'm just as guilty as anyone else. And 
I know that we all have good intentions. We have big dreams. We have improvements we want to make. But the busyness of life gets in the way. I, Joe and Trina, again, you're like, as you were talking this morning, I was like, that's great because that's exactly what I'm going to say. Is that busyness does get in the way. You realize that you don't have, as Joe said, two minutes to give, right? And where does God fit into that equation? If you don't protect your time, if you don't fight for your time to pursue God, it's going to get swallowed up by everything else that comes into life. If you don't protect that time, it means that you're not going to be the kind of people, the kind of men that the psalmist honored so highly that the people of Jerusalem three times a year would come into the city singing about. I know I want to be one of those men, and I'm sure you do too. So take some time this week, number three. Take some time this week to honor the men in your life. I think we have a lot to owe the men who have been there for us and who are there for us every day. And I know a lot of what gets done goes unseen and unappreciated. So let's make an effort today to go grab the metaphorical stick off the roof and show the men in our lives that we love them and that we acknowledge them. And let's help them be the men that God has called them to be. Please pray with me this morning. God, you are a good father and the perfect example for us. So I just pray that uh, we um, become people more after you, who desire to be like you and your son. I thank you for placing in our lives those good examples of godly men that we have to rely on, that instruct us and teach us and love us. I pray that you allow us to honor them and honor you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.